Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we discuss trailers, movies, TV shows, and all things pop culture. Today we'll be talking about HBO's House of the Dragon Episode 2, Season Finale, The Black Queen. My name is Ivan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and boy meeting world, Emmett. That's right. I'm meeting the world, Fred Savage style. <laughs> that his name? Was it was it Fred? I thought it was Ben. <laughs> Either way, it's Savage. One of those Savage brothers. I think this is episode ten, not episode two, by the way. Did I say two? <laughs> well, you know, people know what I mean. <laughs> Hey, one it's, of us is gonna look silly. Either you said ten, or I, or you said two. <laughs> I'll wind the tape back. I can't. I can't believe we're 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 at the finale now, and yet at the same time, I can believe it, and I'm kind of happy about it because there's a lot of shows I need to catch up on. <laughs> when ten years flies by like that, it's really easy to get to a finale. That's true. That's true. And they did a fabulous job of jumping us through time this season. So really, I feel like they just pulled us along as fast as they could <laughs> yeah well I, my fabulous job comment was a little sarcastic yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah it's i, I it's done it's over finito well, before we the get season is the season's done no the series is done oh this okay you canceled it. it i can't i'm canceling it right now <laughs> do we have any stats on how it did i feel like wasn't the first episode like one of the most watched it was Ever. one of the most watched since the finale of the original Game of Thrones. And at least according to, I think it was Deadline that was talking about House of the Dragon viewership for the finale, it completely destroyed the um, uh, the opening episode numbers. So it's up there. I don't think we'll have a, like a final viewership count for uh, a little bit, but at, the, at least on the onset, it looks like we had at least 9.3 million viewers uh, for the finale, which is crazy. Wow. Um, to put things into perspective, a big network show, like let's say something playing on CBS or so, if 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 you're like in the big leagues, you're averaging anywhere from like one and a half to three million viewers an episode. So just take that and then put 9.3 versus that. That's like those are huge, huge numbers. That's really crazy. You know what's insane too, though, like the fact that this show is coming off of a, you know, agree to disagree here, but one of the most lackluster endings we've seen of a TV show that put a lot of viewers off. Like there was so much backlash before that I was kind of surprised that this show was able to get the numbers that it got in terms of viewership over the last over this whole season. It's surprising, but at the same time, like the quality was there, and I feel like it was justified. Well, what show was lackluster? Season eight of Game of Thrones. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't compute. It doesn't compute for you. No, I. It's just. It, it was one of those things, though, that like I've, I haven't seen. Like for, I, I read this article that was comparing this to like uh, the backlash that um, Last Jedi got, and then like six months later they released Solo, and so Solo did very poor at the box office versus that. So they kind of were thinking the same here. But I was like, I feel like it's different, right? Because like with Game of Thrones, I feel like if anybody got super critical of the last season of Game of Thrones, it, it just happened for the last season, whereas the seven prior seasons were fine. And right. that was the finale versus the second installment. Right. I mean, what was the most said comment that was after the first episode? It was like every single person you talked to said, oh, this feels like the first season of Game of Thrones. It kind of brought people back to what... Uh, 
the fundamentals, I guess, were that were really great about the original show. And word of mouth, I feel like, played a bigger part uh, for getting the, those numbers up. Because I think I saw something that said week over week, it was the numbers were just kept going up. Well, it was also like the first one wasn't a disappointment. So I would believe then, yeah, that people would be like, no, give it a try and get on track with the, the releases of them. I, I always feel like being released at the same time as another show like Rings, I don't feel like those are they cannibalize each other. They're not released on the same day or anything like that. Like they're yeah. a couple days apart, but I, I feel like if anything, it's just like it's easy enough to make an extra hour for each of those shows. Well, also the other thing too is like I feel like there is definitely you know like um, there's like a there's overlap in audiences. Uh, they were saying that like we have the three most expensive shows airing right now. It's Andor, Rings of Power, and um, House of the Dragon. And I think that each one of those scratches a completely different itch from from mm. one another. Like I I'm going to Rings of Power. Rings of Power is more of a fantasy to me than this. This yeah. feels like a fantasy, but also like political drama kind of series. Yeah. And then you go over to Andor. Andor doesn't feel like fantasy star wars setting it feels like political drama star wars setting so yeah i feel like there there's um there's enough to kind of go around there's always talk of that too though like the like is is there too much content right now for people to consume and i think sure no what what (laughs) i think i think if you're trying to watch everything on the same week it is but Mm, well yeah but if you're spreading i I couldn't handle andor while watching Rings and Dragon, <laughs> and then you kind of fell behind on Rings, so maybe it's it's a it's a. I feel like in the middle of the pandemic, I would have had time to watch all three, and then now that things are kind of opening up a little bit, and like people are are getting a little bit more, you know, okay with going to events and doing stuff it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep up with the volume of content that we've been kind of getting used to over the last two or three years. Well, let's also face it. When we first entered the pandemic, we kind of just, we loafed off of work a lot to watch shows. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't remember doing this at all. <laughs> Neither of us are at that old job, so we're fine. To say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I do get that sense, yeah. And I feel like right now, if you haven't shifted jobs to something different, you're at least doing this like in office and also out of office thing. So it, it does become harder to to consume as much as we used to before. Yeah, but that Which being is said, funny. it's disgusting how high these budgets are because these are like <laughs> <laughs> we could solve cancer or something if we just stop making like if we didn't make these three shows and just put that towards research <laughs> yeah but i mean like but then we I, wouldn't have rings of power <laughs> I mean, cure for cancer sounds great and all but caraxis breathing fire uh <laughs> sure <laughs> there's a false equivalency there so are we uh do you have anything on your wall before we get into the episode or yeah we let's wall this week Let's talk about um, Kanye West getting canceled this week. No, let's get poly charged here. No, let's let's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only thing I'll say about that is I feel like the Are headlines. You to take a stance. 
Oh, no, it's pretty easy to take a stance on this one. <laughs> I'm relieved that Adidas came out and canceled him, too. I'm just... Man, is it is it just me, or are we getting to the point where the South Park parody episodes from, like, 10 years ago are starting to blend into reality a bit here? Like, some why of the headlines some, yeah. are crazy. <laughs> why do some people still get to be on their platform? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, like, I think logic went out the window somewhere. But no, and on my real wall, <laughs> the topic I really do want to get into a little bit. Um, so, we, I, I, I did want to talk. I, I got a chance to watch Black Adam over the, over the weekend, mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk about something. We'll save the Black Adam discussion for another time when we've both been able to to watch it. But I wanted to talk about one point of that movie that's kind of been spoiled all over the place, and they're using it to promote the film, and that's that. Um, uh, on Monday, Henry Cavill made this post, uh, making a, a basically a big deal out of his return as Superman. Wait, what? Henry Cavill is back as Superman what? in an in an end credits like thirty second scene on in Black Adam. This guy couldn't hold his spoilers in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Neither could the WB marketing team. It's all over social media, man. Like it's it's. Yeah, I was watching The Rock on Fallon. It's like, why even go on there and just... It doesn't make any sense, but sorry, go ahead. What did Cavill post on Monday? He basically teased that he's back and that he's still Superman and that he's looking forward to doing more and more projects. You and I talked about in the past how we kind of like... you know, DC's been in this spot where they want to do a connected universe. And at the same time, they don't. Like, we have the Batman floating around there, right? Uh, but with Henry Cavill coming back, it kind of makes me think we might get the original Justice League cast back and, and up, unless they're going to reboot the whole thing with the same actor. Just None of this is making sense to me. Um, I liked Henry Cavill. I liked the original like Man of Steel movie. I think it was still the best Superman movie we've seen. But um, if they do bring him and the rest of the Justice League back and try to make this interconnected universe thing with the, with the movies we've already had, is that something that excites you at all, or is it like no, no? no. If I had to put it in a percentage, none would be the number. <laughs> I I I'm kind of with you there. I feel like like I like Henry Cavill. I like his portrayal of Superman. I think it's 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 he's yeah, well casted. Absolutely. But if we're going to try to build something out of, like, a carcass, <laughs> that's kind of what we're trying to do here. If we're trying yeah. to, you know, it just and it's also confusing because I feel like they released the Snyder Cut and then you have the regular Joss Whedon Justice League. So which one is canon, right. you know? Right. It's so confusing to me. And it's also like I've never seen something so blatantly this disorienting. Like, it, I think DC's having an identity crisis here. Yeah, I totally agree on Man of Steel being top tier. Definitely of the best DC and can contend with pretty much any Marvel project. You, like, the best thing DC ever had going for it was its ability to cast. Like, Aquaman was right. perfect. Um, Gal Gadot is, as Wonder Woman was really good. I've come around on Ben Affleck being Batman. I, I think they nailed it with that team, so it's like... It is upsetting that they couldn't get the like Justice League plot to make sense. But I mean, I am curious because after watching the Zack Snyder cut, like they teed up so many 
plots that they would want to pursue afterwards. So I am curious, like, ooh, how would that have gone? But I don't know. It would be way too confusing for the fan base to be like, did this happen or not happen in this universe? And uh, am well, I supposed to remember that scene? Can I fan flames here a little bit? Um, I'll tell you what I know <laughs> was supposed to happen, or like at least Warner Brothers was looking to to have happen. Um, and it kind of answers the questions as to why certain things are being canceled today. But uh, under the old ownership or old leadership, after Justice League got panned at the box office, apparently we were supposed to see uh, well, we were gonna we are gonna see Supergirl introduced in this Flash movie that's been delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, and then Batgirl was coming in soon. I think the plan was to basically have the universe reboot a little bit. And we were going to get Superman replaced by Supergirl and Batman replaced by Batgirl. And that was going to be like a new Justice League for them. And they were going to try to carry that forward. And I, I mean, I don't know about you. Look, I'm sure, you know, depending on how those projects went and all that would be great. But Say it. When you have... Batman and Superman, like two of the top most recognizable superhero properties in 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 the world, right? And you don't use them. <laughs> it's kind of like I don't know. It's a little bit of a ridiculous uh, uh, decision to make there if they were going to go that route. Uh, which from... so you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying you're upset that women are taking over those roles. That's exactly what not good. <laughs> That's how it's going to be played out. That's <laughs> how people record. are going to take it. <laughs> no, I, no think... I agree. Especially when you have, like, yes, the characters themselves are so recognizable, but also, like, the actors that you've gotten are such A-listers that it's like, how are you going to walk away from that? Yeah, I feel like they just, I don't, I don't know. Like, But right now, like, bringing Henry Cavill back and trying to... I guess continue that like my big questions like so are we gonna go with the sex Snyder stuff is it not canon are we gonna soft reboot this like what the fuck's going on you know like it's just kind of it's a really really odd time I think to be a DC fan of any kind here I'll tell you what though I hope there's no more Shazam stuff <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> isn't there a second one coming well, there's a second one coming, and I'm sure oh, with Black Adam now, there, there probably will be more. Trilogy, yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, my wall, I'm putting Ant-Man trailers on there. I it was first to click on it, first to comment on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just watched it right before this. Uh, I couldn't tell if it was one of those ones that was, like, fan-made or legit, so I just didn't bother clicking on it. <laughs> but... I don't know. I I kind of get excited watching this one because like I out of all the TV show projects, Loki was my favorite. Yeah. And the ending of that just made me want either more Loki or more Kang. And this, I mean, is going to deliver. And we've been we were saying it at the time of that release of that show where we're like, well, he'll be he'll be coming back in in Ant Man, and now we're finally getting the trailer for it, and it looks. Pretty well put together. I mean, it's also kind of like similar Ant-Man style where it doesn't take itself too seriously, which I think is the thing they have going for themselves there. Right. I'm happy to see that we're finally getting the Kang follow-up we've been waiting on for a little while here. Right. Right. 
uh, other thing too is like he's poised to be. I, I, I don't know if the like the next Thanos is necessarily the right framing here, but he's he is the next big bad of the entire MCU uh, world here. But um, but if they do the thing, the Phase Four thing, yeah, where they go. Where he realizes he was the villain and he just needed to change his ways and he really just needed a friend to talk him off the ledge. Like, if they do that again, I, w- I will actually stop watching all Marvel projects. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I hope it doesn't take that route. Listen, Emmett, the, the multiverse of madness was really the friends we made <laughs> along the way, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> But it's all of these things. It was like Ms. Marvel did the same crap. Like, all of these things are like, oh... I don't have to be a bad guy. I don't have to choose this lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I so I I think um the one that got me the most that for, for, on that kind of note is uh Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. Like that was the big the big one that kind of got to me uh, on that same point. I felt Multiverse of Madness is fine. Like it's not a fantastic movie by any sense, right? The one movie Besides Spider-Man No Way Home, because I, I got to take that one out of this phase because I feel like that's a special beast on its own. But I've continu- I've watched Shang- Shang-Chi like three times yeah, over the neither last... Neither of those two count in this phase. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no, talking but... about all these TV shows that they have the villain become the friend. And every movie after Spider-Man has been exactly that formula. Mm, not Moon Knight. Moon Knight kind of broke that too. Loki also. WandaVision. No, Wanda was like the enemy and it was like, oh, okay, I'll just become the good guy now. No, she wasn't, Emmett. All right. Didn't you hear what <laughs> what Monica told her that the people will never know what she gave up to free them? Oh my god. <laughs> you have to admit though that these projects are just so lame. Like we no. we used to have like Jeff Bridges being forced to be killed by Iron Man on the turnpike. And then we've we've come full circle to like, oh man, we can be friends, right? No, you killed everyone in that other universe, in that multiverse. Listen, I they're not lame. I don't I don't agree with that necessarily. I, I, I do think though that in terms of like quality of story we've seen a dip because of the number of projects that we've had like yeah they're trying to churn them out faster and they're they don't care what they're putting on script they're just like we'll make it look good true it's annoying that it does look pretty good some although i will say the cgi is also getting kind of worse well the cgi i feel like isn't necessarily a marvel exclusive issue because of that whole so not to get too technical on what's going on in the film industry but like th- there's been there's a really severe lack of uh uh number of uh cgi artists yeah, uh, I, at the moment i i don't yeah. care get it done <laughs> <laughs> and that's how those guys at marvel talk <laughs> it is it is and and that's, that's why, why it's somebody who understands what's going on <laughs> trying to explain it and then it's someone else going no 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 i'll pay you a little extra just get it done faster. I don't care what the quality looks like. <laughs> These losers with their comic books and their little PJs need, need to have a new movie. They'll pay us anything. 
<laughs> At a Comic Con, slap a logo on the shirt; it'll sell like hotcakes. And they know that we will. All right, yeah, that's more. That's more than enough wall talk. <gasps> yeah, let's, sure, sure, sure. Let's get into the hot D talk. Ooh. You wanna you wanna share that hot D talk? Let's do it. I want to start with. <laughs> okay, I just looked at her notes. <laughs> the, the 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 one the one big takeaway for me on the on the episode was that table. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about the painted table? Yeah, because. <laughs> what was your Clear, first thought when you saw it? I I, I recently um, got invited to teach a class of middle schoolers and like you know for about the history of film and stuff so i i did it for a couple of weeks and i had no idea how to use a smart board which apparently is the norm now uh but the whole time i was writing with those dry erase markers on the board until some kid on my third class is like hey why don't you turn on the smart board <laughs> i'm like you mean the whiteboard <laughs> he's like no that's a smart board no you're being a dumb board <laughs> we have a smart board and so i immediately like thought of that once we saw the that table be lit up with fire underneath it and i'm like Wait, well now i'm old how do you what's a how does a smart board work nobody in the original show ever lit it up yeah it was always turned off and so oh. nobody like i guess at some point people forgot how to use that table but how does a smart board work is it just like a projector onto a whiteboard that you can then write on? Uh, it's not necessarily projectors. Basically, like you have a stylus that like will write everything out as if it was typed a pen. Yeah. And I had they had given me some like dry erase markers, which clearly were for the giant notepad uh, post-it paper that they gave me there. But I was using it on the actual smart board because it was white. And this whole time I could have been playing videos and doing other stuff on that board. And I was just like coloring on it with, <laughs> with markers. <laughs> Now I like your school of thought. I'm old school. Give me the <laughs> markers. Let me get a little sniff high off it. Uh, but yeah, no, I, you know, my first thought was this is a very cool idea. It was like kind of lame in the way that like it was like a the candlelight reveals the answers. <laughs> but I also thought it was like really cool that like oh it makes sense that uh, like this table was made like because you do see like it's thinner in some parts why would they right. have done that but then yeah like in game of thrones they never knew how to use it really yeah i gotta go back and take a look at whether there's a place for like firewood underneath anyway in the original design because i they obviously like had more time to think this one through yeah um i don't like i'm not that big of a book nerd or geek to to go back and see if that was part of the description in there i don't know <laughs> mm -hmm. but um yeah that table was a really really nice looking <laughs> table there like but also like how awful would it be if one of those regions changed names <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was thinking that too is like uh we can't really have anyone take over land here <laughs> um but i love that whole sequence of like Lighting up the candles, and you're going like, okay, what are these guys about to do? And then they're taking out the, you know, the wartime chest of, like, little figurines and all that. Like, it just felt like, okay, we mean business. We're about to get about to get going here. Yeah. Uh, however, the table is a good reminder of, like, we haven't seen anywhere else in this show other than, like, Driftmark, King's Landing, and Dragonstone. Like, the, we've only been to, like, three places if, yeah if, if the stepstones are another place maybe four 
But like, we have the entire map that lit up that they have not visited once. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get a peek into the Eerie. Wait, no, we did. We did go to the Veil at least once, right? For Damon's wife's execution, essentially. Okay, if you can count a 20-second excursion. <laughs> and maybe that, also the, um, what's that forest where she saw the white stag? Oh, the the godswood. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we went to, like, a place, like, a handful of places. But still, like, we never saw Winterfell. We never, like, really got into the Eerie. We didn't really do anything else. Like, we never saw the Lannister port. Like, there's a lot that we didn't get to go to. And it kind of makes me regret, like, we made we fast forward like ten years at a time, and we, we could have used some time exploring a little bit, seeing some characters develop. We are definitely going to see those areas uh, play major roles during the war itself. So I think we'll get our time for it. I also went back and took a look at season one and how much travel we saw through there, and there wasn't all that much location shifting either in the first season. It was after, it was like season two and on that we started getting more comfortable with shifting perspectives. The other thing, too, is like we didn't have a lot of characters' POVs that we were looking at here. It was strictly just like Rhaenyra and Alicent. So yeah. I think we're go- that's going to dilute a little bit more because, you know, uh, Jaceris, the, the prince, is headed up to, to the Vale and then to Winterfell, mm-hmm. which there's a whole story to that. So I'm sure he's now going to become a POV character. Whereas uh, this season we only had two. I think next season we're bound to see at least four or five different stories kind of shape out over the season, which hopefully gives us more view into other areas there. Uh, what else was happening there? Uh, in that wartime discussions, uh, they're counting up like the number of soldiers and houses that will align with who, uh, with each side. And I like the one guy who makes the point of like, what does any of this matter if you're if you have a crypt full of dragons, <laughs> you literally have, you're sitting on nukes. And it was, it was cool that like Rhaenyra said the line that Daenerys said, or was, you know, told to say kind of like, I'm, I'm meant to be the ruler of King's Landing, not of Queen of the Ashes. So it was cool that like, you know, just drawing those same similarities there. Yeah. They're missing, um, they're missing an Olena Tyrell in that, in that scene, just to be like, you're a dragon. Rhaenyra, be a dragon. Well, She's I like, feel right. like, um, what's his name? Corliss was a little bit like that when he came back. To some extent, I feel like we saw like a tame version of him this episode, where he's a little bit more like, okay, well, I might have messed up in the, in the past, or I, I might have overreached, I think was what he said. Yeah, I mean, he was he was more family first now than he was like ambition first. Right. But yeah, seven, seven dragons for the blacks, three for the greens. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really understand Damon's count because I was trying to go back to it. And I feel like he said like 13 or something like that or well, some each, like outrageous number, which was like you definitely only have like seven usable dragons. And even you're counting in like Rainey's dragon, who if you look at her when she when uh when he calls her out, like she's like, yeah, I don't know if you can count me in yet. Uh, <laughs> she's basically like, I didn't say I was in. Like, yeah. I, you know. I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have? We have Rhaenyra has her dragon, Cyrax, I think, or Cyraxes. I, I lose track of these names. They're a little too complicated yeah. sometimes. I know Caraxes, 
the daemon. That's two. Each of Rhaenyra's um, older sons have a dragon to their name, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm assuming her youngest of the three older ones also has one. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably like definitely they not. They have three more there. Yeah. Uh, and then her other two sons, I think only one of them has a dragon, and that's probably an infant dragon, so not really usable. No, like, none of these are, and that's why Rhaenyra raises the point, like, none of these are really battle-hardened, except for yeah. maybe Daemons, who was fighting in the Step Zones, but, like, none of them have fought other dragons or anything like that. So, I like that they can, especially what they did later on in the episode, is, like, hold your horses here, you know. Yeah, Aemon, Aemon has the strongest dragon out there. Hold your dragons, my lords. My it's lords. Not, it's not the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he was talking about like more unclaimed dragons as well, so I feel like that's got to be a storyline as well. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's a whole thing to do with the fact that you have a number of dragons that are lacking dragon riders. And that's one of the things that I feel like, um, even in the original story, like that becomes a key uh, point uh, in this war. Because obviously, like like you said, a dragon is essentially a nuke in Westeros. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely be seeing some interesting characters kind of take, um, take center stage uh, as the war goes on. But here's the thing I was wondering is like, you, they made so much drama about Aemon going after Vagar in that one episode. Why didn't the other girl just go after Sea Smoke or whatever the Lanor's dragon was? Like, if that's still unclaimed, why would have you not picked it up yet? I think it's because, uh, and again, I don't want to like speak on the show because I feel like they might change things a little bit, but from the books. They make a big deal out of, or George R. R. Martin makes a big deal out of the dragon basically chooses you. Like, he has to accept you as the rider. So most people who try to claim the wrong dragon get killed by the dragon. So it's one of those things where, like, if the dragon doesn't let you ride it, there's no way to claim it. Well, not. Sure. It, it, like, it has to establish some sort of bond. On that same note, though, because Lenor is technically not dead, is Sea Smoke even claimable? That's what I was wondering, but like, I don't know. She's family to him, so couldn't. Yeah, she... she should be able to. Although I think if memory serves, there's a different writer for Sea Smoke down the line. I mm. think I don't know. It's been a little while since I read Fire and Blood, so. But the point of the thing is that like, they, the blacks outnumber, the greens, by a lot, but. As we see later on in the episode, numbers probably won't matter when you have one that's ten times the size of the next dragon. <laughs> Let's talk. Let, I want to talk about that scene um, as Otto boldly uh, delivers terms yeah. to Rhaenyra, which is clearly meant to mirror the scene in episode two of this, the show, uh, where Otto confronts Damon in that same um, passageway there. Mm-hmm. And again, Rhaenyra shows up. Same, same exact layout. She shows up on on Cyrax's and then plants her dragon behind Otto. Goes through the King's Guard in both instances. Um, I thought honestly this was one of my favorite scenes from the, from yeah. the series, 
and not just because it kind of bookends the one from earlier in the season, which I think is smart from a visual perspective, but uh, it demonstrates a couple things. It demonstrates the fact that Rhaenyra is not the best tactician. Um, and it also demonstrates the fact that, yeah, she's still like, I feel like she's putting duty over, over even her own like ambitions, right? Like, and it's laid out pretty well in this episode where you see her kind of consider those terms. And then you have Damon who, you know, instead of being there for Rhaenyra in the beginning of the episode while she's, you know, essentially giving birth to a stillbirth child, um, is planning out this war already and being like, all right, yeah, we're going to go wreck things up and this is, this is going to happen. And, you know, he's making out plans here, not respecting her wishes. Um, and everybody seems to focus in on him regardless, right? It's just like another further push of like, yeah, it's, you know, the guys are calling the shots in this world and they tend to gravitate more towards them as voice of authority uh, over Rhaenyra, who clearly has a better head on her shoulders about this kind of thing, <laughs> you know, trying to prevent this much bloodshed. Yeah, it's that lust for power that, like, Damon falls victim to is, like, as soon as his brother's announced dead, like, he gets very, he wants to be on the offensive, right? Like, he immediately asks, like, how did he die? Who was there with him? Like, instead of, like, asking about, like, what are the next steps or anything like that? Or, like, was he okay? Like, did he go peacefully? Like, any any other question would have been better than those that he asked. And then, yeah, he totally ignores his wife during that whole thing. And then even after he gets the news, like, oh, we're not supposed to be making any plans until then, until she's uh, able to join us. Um but I, I really love that shot, too. It didn't really make sense why she would walk through the opponent's king guard, because she could have just been killed immediately there, and, like, would have been war over, but... <laughs> it's the dragon. You know, like, who would... If they if they lay a hand on her, the dragons roasting them anyway, so... Yeah, but if they don't, they that dragon still might kill them. <laughs> right, but there, it's like a, you know between the rock and the hard place there like what are you going to do <laughs> either I, either I, way you're, you're kind of fighting my way out of that hard place <laughs> and then i claim the dragon for my own <laughs> well, this scene is kind of a departure from the books too because i think in the book she takes the, the it's only the maester that shows up uh the maester from the council he shows up to um to deliver the message and he gets captured he gets taken mm. as a prisoner and they basically try to use him as a as, as a prisoner to kind of levy against the king um departure here because that doesn't happen auto shows up which i thought would have been a good turning point there too and she'd be like all right cool i'll i'll listen to your terms but you're my prisoner until then right then you have a prisoner to barter in case you know in case you really did want to prevent the war <laughs> i feel like that probably would have been the best way to go about it auto is a high value prisoner for her yeah i just don't understand these even considering these offers like not about like, oh, I should do what's best for the realm. Like, I totally get on board with her taking that stance, but more so like, what? Uh, how are you supposed to trust this promise at all? This guy immediately took the throne for his own family, like the second that he could. How am I supposed to believe that he's just going to let us live out in Dragonstone and, and right. claim all these lands that he's promising? Yeah, she can't trust his word. Which is why I feel like the book twist there where she should have taken whoever delivered the message as a prisoner should have been the right call here. But yeah, 
I think for the show, they're trying to make us sympathize with Rhaenyra more. And that's mainly because as we go through the story in the books, as is as customary of Game of Thrones, nobody is necessarily a good person. Like everybody's so you know right. gray. Um, but I think for the show's sake, they're trying to make us sympathize with Rhaenyra as much as they can to get us prepped for you know everything else that's coming down. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought Damon's whole handling of the situation was very, you know, erratic and stuff. We get a cool view of like well not a cool view, but we get a clear look at the dynamic. Uh, that he holds and i saw a lot of criticisms online about i saw some people saying like what was character assassination to have um damon choke rhaenyra in that scene where she's trying to tell him about the dream i was like really the guy who murdered his wife uh (laughs) you surprised (laughs) that's part of his character i feel like right like that's that's kind of aligned with it yeah i mean it it's also that in this moment he can feel he's so close to ascending the throne with Rhaenyra that if she is hinting at like we should give it up then obviously the, he he's going to be hot-headed in that situation and let his emotions get the better of him I also got the sense too that after she told him about that about the dream he didn't want to pay it any mind not because he didn't necessarily believe it but because it further demonstrated to him how much his brother didn't trust him enough to tell him about that secret um because you have that moment after he lets go of her neck where she kind of takes a step back and she like kind of almost whispers it she's like oh he 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 never told you yeah um so i don't think he doesn't he necessarily doesn't buy it it's more so like it's just you know again like out of the grave viserys fights him again by you know not not trusting him but he he like continuously demonstrates why he's not a trustworthy person right um and they're shocked that he's not trusted, you know. So it's, yeah, I, I thought it was a it was a cool moment to kind of see the character for who he really is, right? Like a spontaneous dude that just doesn't seem to learn what not to do. What about uh, since we're talking about him? What about his like little solo album song that he did there? What dragon was that? Where did that one come from? <laughs> that is uh, Vermithor. So Thor, loving them. <laughs> Vermithor, I think I think that's his right name. So he's meant to be the second largest dragon, besides Rhaegal. Uh, sorry, uh, Vagar. Vagar. Yeah. At, at this time, so there were three giant dragons still left before the events of the show. It was there was Balerion, Aegon's original dragon. So he's gone for yep. a, for just a few years in the beginning of the show. Uh, then we have Vagar, and then Vermithor. Which Vermithor was the last king before Viserys's dragon, uh, Jaehaerys. So King Jaehaerys's dragon, uh, Vermithor. He's supposed to be huge, um, and so the rider for that dragon will definitely be of interest for both houses because whoever can claim him, that's another Vagar essentially. Which is crazy to think that you've had these your know, whole time. I like I don't know I, like I don't know about you, but if I had nukes on there and they needed a writer or something, I would make sure there's a writer there in case anything in like your this family. happens. Yeah. Right. So how is he supposed to win Vermithor over to the side if he already has a dragon? Can you be a dragon rider rider of two? There's nothing to say that you can't be. Oh, Daenerys really had three, so Well, she only rode Drogon. Yeah, but she controlled all three. Yeah, true. 
I don't know. I, I I think there's a level of control, right? But like, I guess the the ridership is a whole other thing. It's confusing because I feel like they make a big deal out of the connections between the rider and the dragon in the books, but then on the show, clearly the other two dragons obeyed Daenerys, even though she was only riding Drogon. Yeah. You know, so I think it's a little it's it's a little bit of a gray area there, but. And this episode confirms, like, even if you are the rider, these dragons don't always listen to you. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also that like that's a callback to like the first episode there, when he's telling Rhaenyra like it's it's an it's an illusion that we control the dragons, and also oh, like Daenerys, yeah. Daenerys to to her extent too was constantly saying about how dragons aren't slaves, they're not meant to be in chains and all that, and I think that this is the generation that's kind of forgotten that a little bit, right? Because they keep them in these dragon pits and they they think that you know they're they're adherent to them, and they're really not at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a great callback. I totally forgot about that line. Let's get into the the, the princes though, because, um, yeah, that, that so this was the big event that basically ends all the bravens and messages and all that for for both sides. But Lucerus, poor little Lucerus, meets his end here. We don't know. No body. <laughs> <laughs> There's two. Um, in the book, the book reads like a Wikipedia entry because it's just meant to list out history. But they have these little like side sections where they're like, oh, there's rumor that this and this might have happened. In the book, this whole scene plays out like it was intentional, like Aemon intentionally murdered Lucerys. Oh, OK. And in a couple of versions, he cuts out both of his eyes and then delivers them to his would be bride. Another one has that he another rumor says he delivered his eyes to his mom. Um, but then the book also says Lucerus's body was never found. And so therefore, like, this is kind of BS. Then there's like the last rumor, I think, was that he might have lived and like is now a confused fisherman who doesn't remember who he really was. It's just I funny. See, to... I want to see that story. <laughs> <laughs> Give us that spin-off. Give me Sean. nine episodes of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know HBO would do it in a, in a heartbeat. Um, no, I I thought this whole exchange was amazing where he just shows up it's so in, it's like Jurassic Park intimidating where you can see Vagar in the shadows of the lightning strikes but this kid is like brave enough and goes in delivers the message doesn't give in to the fight um and i i was hoping he'd be a little bit more like politically smart with like i don't know coming up with something to say like not we're not insulting you. We're just, you know, here to well, remind you. Well, he's 13. <laughs> I know, but, like, this is his chance to step up, and I want him to, like, rise up to that moment. Yeah. But at least he did just, like, go, I am just the messenger. I'll get out of here. I'll get out of your hair. I, I'm not welcomed. <laughs> it, it, to me, like, it further demonstrated how inexperienced Rhaenyra is. Like, to send somebody without any offer... Right. It's just basically like, oh, remember that you promised this to my house, like instead yeah. of like trying to coerce him to to, to join his side. Um, it also like it, I think Lucerus is one of those characters that. It's just like essentially like a Jon Snow, right? Like you have this. This kid throughout this entire episode was talking about how he's, he, do, he doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't you know, he's not ready for any of it. Um. But probably had the right temperament for it, given, you know, more time and all that. But uh, sadly, that's not going to come to pass. 
Um, I mean, the only other times we see him in this show are like him just getting beat up by like whoever his fighting instructor is. <laughs> like in this episode, even his brother was just kicking the crap out of him, and we know the brother's not that much stronger. Yeah. Well, I know he's like he seems to be more of on, on like the caring side of things, right? Because like we ha- he had that exchange with uh, with Corliss at the funeral for Lena, I think. Yeah. Uh, where he talks about how he doesn't want Driftmark because that would mean that all the people he loves are dead. And that's and why he he's goes to comfort him. his, like, what are those? Cousin nieces or cousins? Cous- cousin wives. I don't know what they are. Cousin <laughs> wives. Cousins <betrothed> <laughs> So, yeah, he is definitely the more caring kind. And I liked the Baratheon guy we got here. Not much background into him, but you can tell he's, like, an uneducated leader, but also, like, very adherent (laughs) to the rules of like no fighting in my house kind of thing so i feel like i feel like he's gonna come down on rhaenyra's side because like he strictly didn't want luke to be harmed because he's the messenger and then aemon goes out and shows how undisciplined he is it's again a bit of a departure from the books because in the in the book he deliberately calls out um he he's the one that kind of eggs on his uh, Aemon to go after Luke. Um, yeah, because in, in the book, the terms and all that go like word for word the same exact play out. Uh, but his response to Lucerus is definitely not um, as friendly as it was here. He tells him to go tell his um, Lady of the Night mother. <laughs> We'll put it that way. Um, that he's not like his house is not her, her basically, basically her 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 attack dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, he insults Rhaenyra basically to to him, and then when that whole exchange between Aemon and Luke starts happening, he tell he also stops him. But as soon as his guards take Luke away, he turns over to Aemon and he's like, "Look, I don't care what happens outside of my walls, but in here you can't do anything. But like, who am I to tell you that you can't?" go after him out there you think they'll stick to like that plot line or do you think they'll kind of go the way i was seeing it i think they'll stick to him siding with the with the greens just because of the whole that component of uh Eamon promising to wed one of his wives i'm sorry yeah. one of his daughters is still there so i feel like that that's still going to play out that way and also he's not made out to be a particularly caring guy right like he clearly isn't like they painted him out to be like a bit scummy without going overboard as they did in the books. Uh, that little mention or the thing where he's like asking the maester to read him the note, uh, just to emphasize that he's not very educated and all. Um, definitely a, I think is like alluding to the fact that this isn't somebody that's necessarily all that interested in anything too grand, right? Like he's just there to kind of appease whoever's going to give him the more lucrative offer there. Right, right. Okay, I, I mean, I can see it going either way, really, so that makes sense to me. Like, I, I think you can deviate from the books in small ways, but you can't, like, remove a house loyalty from one to the other. Yeah, because things play out a certain way, I feel like it'd be difficult for them to pivot him to Rhaenyra's side. That being said, I feel like they can change whatever they want, right? Like, the original show didn't follow the books all the way through either on certain things. Yeah. Whole characters are missing also there. So, I don't but know. What about uh, what about the actual, like, 
fight between them the on Dragonback, the chase. I thought that, like, I think you alluded to this earlier, but, like, it, it shows off how much not neither side really understands the dragons all that much at all. Yeah. And I, I thought for a second, the minute he flew out of the storm, Lucerus flew out of the storm, and then to, like, the, the calm outside of it, I thought he was maybe safe. I was like, okay, maybe they're not going to do it the way that it was in the story. And then he gets chomped on <laughs> by Vagar. I think the big issue there was the fact that, um, and if you hear, because I had subtitles on whenever I'm watching this, yep. throughout the whole thing, Luke is just trying to tell his dragon to leave, to like fly out, right. and the dragon decides to spit fire on on Vagar, which I think that was the thing that sealed their fate, because um, then Vagar comes out of nowhere, and also Aemon throughout the same thing was trying to get his dragon to to stop, uh, but again, these are kids too, like yeah. You know, they're playing with war horses essentially, or nukes in in Vagar's uh, uh, case. Yeah. So that was it. Was sad. It was sad the way it all played out. And also, Vagar's size. I think this is the first time we see him in or see her. Sorry, in full on like just how massive she is. Yeah, we saw Vagar fight um, Damon's dragon. Not fight, but like do those maneuver, yeah, flying things. So we could see, like, sort of the size, but not the full picture. This was, like, Vagar, you know, uh, super intimidating. Like, could be super quiet flying against the wind, but also be that massive that, like, it just takes, like, one bite for it to kill that dragon. Yeah. Which is, oh, I got to... I'm not sure if they animated Luke's body falling down on there, or did she did he get swallowed up whole by Vagar? I don't know, <laughs> but either way, that was that was quite a way to go for the poor kid. But it was also like one of the best dragon fights we've seen, and I'm I'm counting all of Daenerys's above the like north of the wall and all that stuff. Like, yeah, this felt like a legit like tactical chase. I guess because it was dragon versus dragon. Like you can also of, see it. Yeah, most of the Daenerys, Daenerys' stuff um, was just dragon versus, like, zombies. And then when it was dragon versus dragon in the Battle of Winterfell, uh, you didn't see any of it. It was zoomed in close-ups, like, yeah. super fast cuts. So, like, this felt like an X-Wing flying through the <laughs> flying through the gulch, right? It felt like uh, Leia's little ship escaping the big <laughs> star destroyer in yeah. uh, a new hope yeah for sure yeah um but yeah man i that it kind of got me too that scene because like you see aemon turn back and like he's not like the villain this monster that he gets painted out to be in the book he, he he's like regretful of what he's done because he obviously didn't mean to do it i think he yeah. just meant to scare him you know yeah he regrets it on the back of the dragon but you know when he gets in front of people, he's going to be like, I did it for our family. Like, he'll pretend like he intended it. Yeah, I think the way that it played out... Because you know how, like, Jamie Lannister gets called the Kingslayer for killing the king? I think yep. in, in, the, in the story, Aemon is then known as the Kinslayer for killing his own family in that manner. Um, but I, I think he... I think the the problem is even if he wants to tell 
Alicent or Otto the Truth, right? Like, do you want to explain to people that you you have people that don't know how to control their dragon? That like, that's a dangerous thing to pet. admit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the fact that we don't see her, like, we don't hear any dialogue, but we do see just mostly the back of her until she turns around when Damon delivers the news to Rhaenyra at the end. I I thought that was like an excellent way to to have that reveal because we have her seen her already in pain throughout the episode so I thought like maybe like an audible response to it while I think appropriate I feel like it might have been seen as overplayed because all of that was taking place in the same episode uh, but that look she has at the end when she turns around to face her counsel after getting that news is tell me you know, am I wrong here? But like, it gives me vibes of Daenerys looking at the Red Keep right know? after Masandi gets her head cut off. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's just like she's ready for a scorch earth earth approach, where it's like, I was trying to hold the rum together, trying to do the duty, and then I sent my kid as a messenger, and he went in there, like, did his job, and then you just eat him <laughs> like there's no and and it's also like that's coming off the heels of losing another would-be child yeah so she lost two kids that day or i'm guessing it's probably like within a week of each other but like yeah that's a lot of emotions and grief that she's trying to deal with there and that's like i think she's just right to fight yeah, I think we're. I'm excited to see how we kick things off for the next season in two years. It I seems know. like you know that's a long wait, but oh man, I'm st- I'm still baffled how they gave um, Rings of Power that much money to shoot that many seasons, but HBO's like, you know what, we're only gonna see one season, and then maybe we'll see about a second season. Like, I mean, you know how I feel about this stuff. I think they always have it pre-designed that they're going to do all those seasons. They just can't announce it until afterwards or like once it's been shown to be a success, but they, they have it like pretty much inked that they're going to do many seasons of this. I disagree with that just because like, no, okay, so... well then forget me. <laughs> <laughs> no, from a production standpoint, if they, <laughs> if they were thinking about it already, it's cheaper to shoot these seasons back to back instead of like, Maybe they have been. I don't think so. They wouldn't be having us wait until 2024. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think, think was... of that. But let me <laughs> let me pose this thought to you. Maybe they have been. <laughs> what are this? I'd be pleasantly surprised if they do that. Like I would. That would be great. Um, what? So I know we've talked about this before, but what about like plots for other seasons? So you, you were saying that these are going to kind of be different story arcs or is it going do you think it's going to be Rhaenyra the whole time I could see like doing a whole Winterfell journey for whatever that kid's name is I <laughs> for, for Jaharis Jaharis yeah Jaharis sorry these names yeah. are confusing um so we're supposed to be getting three to four seasons of, mm-hmm. of covering the Dance of the Dragons um, they've been talking about doing these as a, like an anthology series. So like after Dance of the Dragons, they might tell another Targaryen story. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, like for for this particular uh, era, they're talking about doing a spinoff of Corliss Valarian and telling the nine voyages that he went on in his younger years to establish his house. I, I don't believe it. Please, no. <laughs> um, then they have the Jon Snow show in development, which has been confirmed that they're looking... That, like I think the author was talking about it. But that's a different show. That's not season three of this, right? No. I think So this one, I think we're going to get the Dance of the Dragons, and that's going to be it for... For the Dance of the Dragons series, what they do after Dance of the Dragons is done, if they want to continue the House of the Dragons show and just make it like a full Targaryen anthology show, I think there's more than enough to really tell here. But I think it might get confusing by calling it House of the Dragon strictly. Mm-hmm. You know, like it might get a little confusing for people because they're like, whenever you think of House of the Dragon, you'll think of Rhaenyra and you're like, where is she? Or where's Alicent or whatever, right? Um, there's a lot to tell, uh, but I think if 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 they want to stay truthful and on path to making a good show for this particular story, we should only get three or four seasons. It shouldn't be more than that. I feel like it could be done in two seasons if they were smart about it, but I would want three seasons. I feel like four is going to enter that territory of like Game of Thrones where it went one season too long. <laughs> Or yeah, in some ways, it's like maybe you should have done an extra season and told all I'm, the details. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that we're going to see at least three seasons of this show, right? And I think the way that we're going to handle this is like we'll we'll see we won't see the prince's uh ri- or journey to Winterfell until like the last half of next season. Mm. Uh, and then we'll, in the meantime, we'll get the war that's going on near King's Landing, uh, because the, the the Winterfell stuff is very important to this uh, to this story. Uh, and that's the thing, like I'm looking forward to seeing how they play this out because so many of the characters that we know start out the story around this, like there's two groups, Rhaenyra's and then uh, Alicent's, but. As the war progresses, you have Sir Kristen Cole in the Riverlands. You have Otto in Old Town. You have Alicent in King's Landing. And so, like, they move around so much that I feel like, from a scale, the show just has to get bigger to fit that. I just don't know how they're going to be able to balance that because it's a huge story. Uh, like I said, from scale, but it just it, it's not very lengthy either. Mm. Well, sign me up for it, man. I'll Just see you in two years. Yeah. yeah, I'll see you in two years for it. <laughs> we'll take a behind the fourth wall hiatus until <laughs> we'll 2024. See. We'll talk to everybody in two years. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I mean, it is always sad to like end a season that you just started really getting into. Um, but not much we can do about controlling that. I hope they shoot the next couple like pretty quickly just so that we get that story uh in in line and i think it it serves warner brothers well to have that done asap um that way you don't lose like people's attention to other shows like like next january or something like that (laughs) (laughs) well it'd be perfect if they had if they shoot back to back it could be like six months apart each season which i think would be fair to to do yeah i mean even just a year apart is not that bad Right. 
which is why you know if they shoot it back to back, post production shouldn't take as long as it's taking right now, just because they would need to. I think it's something around seven or eight months just to edit these episodes together. And then you have the four to six month shooting period. So it's it it like takes its toll. And I feel like they should get smarter about these things. Mm-hmm. The success is there. It's been proven. So the ball's in their court to, to make sure that they are striking while the iron is hot here. Yeah, for sure. All right. Any uh, last thoughts on the series before we wrap up here? Yeah, give me that cordless Valarian spinoff. I'm I'm down for that. Let's, yeah, don't let's, let's don't do give it. me that. I'm I'm not down for that. So all right, then give me egg on the conquest, the we'll, conqueror. We'll average those two together, and then we might get it. <laughs> <laughs> give us egg on the conqueror, then. Like I'll, I would definitely tune in for that story. Not this little punk kid. No, no, egg on the first egg on. Oh well, they're calling this kid the conqueror, so. This is He's like got the conqueror sword, the conqueror's hat, <laughs> conqueror's dro- robe. <laughs> He's cosplaying, essentially. <laughs> Just because he's got the name. All right, I guess that works. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we pack it up there? Uh, that's that's a wrap on Hot D. See you next season. See you next season. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.